If you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them please to 2 Samuel chapter 6. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled, A Man After God's Own Heart, A Study of the Life of David. And tonight's message is, let's just praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through the remaining part of the chapter, verse 23. 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, second half of verse 12. And we read, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedim into the city of David, which is Jerusalem, and he did it with gladness. And it was so that when they had carried the ark of the Lord about six steps, he stopped the processional and gave a sacrifice of, to the Lord of oxen and fatlings. And then in verse 14 it says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord, and they set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David once again offered a sacrifice, a burnt offering sacrifice, and a peace offering sacrifice before the Lord. Verse 18, And as soon as David had made an end of offering the sacrifices, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He dealt among all the people, all 30,000 of the people, upon the whole multitude of Israel, women as well as men. He gave everyone a cake of bread, a good piece of meat, and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house, and they were full. The story is told of a six-year-old little girl who is sitting in church with her four-year-old little brother. Now her little brother kept talking, he kept making loud noises, and she kept telling him, shh, be quiet, shh, be quiet, stop that, stop that. And finally the little fellow looked at his sister and said, who's going to make me stop? Well, she thought for a moment, and then she turned around and she pointed to the door in the back of the church. She said, do you see those two men back there? They're called hushers, and they'll make you stop talking. <laughs> well, in our text, we are reading about a husher. You say, Pastor, what in the world's a husher? Well, in our story, Michael is a husher. Michael is the husband of David, though she is never addressed that way in Scripture. She's always called the daughter of King Saul, and I'll tell you why a little bit later in the sermon. But Michael is a husher. She's telling her husband David to hush. Hush his praising. Hush his shouting. Hush his dancing, if I can use that phrase just to cease it. 
muzzle your worship, David. A husher. Now we're going to come back to her in just a moment, but let's set the story in place. Now this is really a continuation of last week's story, but I'll try to make it fresh for those of you with us for the first time. The Ark of the Covenant is a box. It's a chest. It, it has things of God in it. But in David's day, the most important thing the Ark of the Covenant had in it was God himself. God chose to manifest his personal presence through the Ark of the Covenant. Now later, God would move from a box called the Ark of the Covenant to a building called the temple, and then later he would move from the temple into a body, you and I. God doesn't live in a box anymore. He doesn't live in a building anymore. He lives in his people. He lives in you and I if we know Jesus is our personal Savior. But in that day, God lived in the box called the Ark of the Covenant. David is now in the process of moving the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the city of David. As we talked about last week, David, in the initial phase of moving the Ark of the Covenant from where it was at back to Jerusalem, got a little bit prideful. He got a little bit careless. He made the movement of the Ark all about his glory. He didn't follow God's directions on how that ark was supposed to be moved. And it, what happened was this. A man died because of it. David's pride and David's carelessness cost a man his life. And David himself was humbled and rebuked by God. So David calls off the moving of the ark so he can go back and rethink this, revisit this, and he does. For three months, he gets alone with God. And he confesses his sin of pride. He confesses his sin of playing careless with the things of God, being casual with the things of God. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. And God forgives David. And then David gets with his advisors and his counselors and he says, let's find out how God wants this ark moved. And he learns how God wants that ark of the covenant moved. And David implements it. And the ark is moved from where it was at to the holy city of Jerusalem. We read in our text that as they're moving the ark, David, all of a sudden, after six steps, can you imagine this? After six steps, David says, stop. Let's have a worship to the Lord. And so he calls for a worship service right there in the middle of the road as they're moving the ark. And David gets excited. This is a spontaneous act of excitement and exuberance by David. And he begins to shout, and he begins to sing, and he begins to dance. His wife, the daughter of Saul, as she's called in the scripture, she witnesses what her husband is doing. 
the king of Israel. She sees him shouting. She sees him singing. She sees him dancing. And she criticizes him. She says, how disrespectful and undignified you are. Do you not realize you're a king? You're royalty. You bleed blue. How in the world can you be acting this way in front of our people? She tells David he made a fool of himself and has brought shame and embarrassment to her. That's the story in a nutshell. Now, a couple of things I want you to understand from that day. In that day, God was a God of strict order when it came to worship. In David's day, God was a God of very strict structure and very strict order when it came how worship was to be done. He spelled it out to the people with exactness. These are the animals that are to be sacrificed. Only these animals, no more. This is the way they're to be sacrificed. This is the place they're to be sacrificed. This is the, the way it's to be done. No improvisions. The priests are to do it this way. The people are to respond in this manner. Everything is to be done according to regulation. Specifically, exactly. Everything is to be done precisely. Order is important to God in worship in that day. You stick to the bulletin. No variance, no improvision, no off the cup, no fly by the seat of your britches. When you worship, you worship in this order. Now I'm going to be a politician. I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth. Because in David's day, God said worship had to be precise, it had to be exact, it had to be specific, it had to be strictly according to the law. You cannot do it any differently. But God also said, there is an exception clause. If you break out in spontaneous worship that comes from your heart, it's not pre-planned. It just comes out of an overflow of your love for God. That's allowable. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses and the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. What a miracle that was. And when they got to the other side, Miriam, the sister of Moses, the Bible says, picked up a tambourine. And the women that was around her picked up musical instruments. And they began to praise God for the great victory he gave them over the Egyptians. The great miracle of crossing the Red Sea. Spontaneous worship by Miriam and the ladies, the Hebrew ladies. And then, in Judges chapter 5, Barak and Deborah, also coming off a great victory over the Canaanites, 
begin to sing songs of praise to God. And that praise turns to worship as they sing and tell God how much they love him and thank him for the great victory over the Canaanites. So God does allow exceptions to his rule that worship should be done with a specific, exact, precise order. He gave Miriam the liberty. He gave Barak and Deborah the liberty. And here he gives David the liberty. What David is doing when it says he began to dance in verse 14, what it's saying is, is this, this was unscripted. This was unplanned. This was unchoreographed. This was David from an overflow, worshiping God. Why did God allow this? Because he could see into the heart of David. You see, God looks into our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows our motives. He knows our intentions. You can fool this pastor. I've been fooled many times. And I can fool you. You've been fooled many times. But there's not one of us here tonight that can fool God. And God looked into David's heart and he saw a man that indeed was full of excitement, full of anticipation, full of exuberance, full of exhilaration. And David couldn't hold it in anymore. He got happy feet and he started dancing. Got filled with the joy of the Lord and he started singing. And it all came out of humility. Remember the first time David was full of himself. This time he's full of God. I want you to notice in verse 13 it says he stopped the processional, as I mentioned earlier, after six steps. In other words, they haven't even moved the Ark of the Covenant, but, but six feet maybe. Twelve feet. However many six steps is. And he stopped it and said, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to worship God. He's in the box, and we're going to worship him. And worship broke out. So we know that it was no longer about David and his glory. It was about the worship of God and his glory. Verse 14, I want you to notice that it says, David girded himself with a linen of ephod. Now, when you read that, you may not give that much thought. But let me explain something to you. David was royalty. David was a king. He, ro he wore a royal robe that signified his position and all the power and prestige that goes with it. When worship begins, David takes off the royal robe and he puts on the attire of a priest. Now again, that may not mean anything to you, but let me tell you what David was saying to God and saying to the people that day. He was saying, I am your king, but I'm not here right now to be your king. I am a worshiper just like you. There's only one king, there's only one Lord, and we're worshiping him together. Verse 19, he got so excited in the worship. He got so much in love with God that he showed his love to his people. You know something? When you love this way, you will love this way. Okay? When you love this way, you will love this way. 
And David shows his love to his people. Notice it says in verse 19, he feeds the entire group that's with him. Now we know from the very beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 6 that with him was 30,000 men. This is a big feeding. 30,000 men plus their women and children that weren't counted in those days as a total. And David feeds every one of them. He says the whole multitude of Israel in verse 19. What did he give them? He gave everyone a cake of bread, everyone a, a piece of meat, every one of them drank. Every one of them celebrated with him. Everyone was full. God allowed David to worship off the cuff because he saw in David a man of humility. Now, I wish I could tell you that his wife was that way. She was very critical of David. Notice it says she despised him in her heart in verse 16. She despised him. I just want you to also notice in verse 20 it says, David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul. Now, now, now listen to me. She's never called the wife of David. Scripture always calls her the daughter of Saul. She came out to meet David and she said, now this is sarcasm, this is dripping with sarcasm. She says, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servant as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovering himself. Now she's not talking about him taking his clothes off. She's not talking about nudity here, don't get her wrong. She's talking about the fact he took off the royal robe and brought himself down to the level of the people and became a worshiper with them. Oh, she's so critical of him. She blasts him for shaming and embarrassing her. How dare you, David, the king of Israel, shame and embarrass me? your wife. How in the world could she criticize him like that? Because she didn't love him. The Bible says she despised him. You see, this wasn't a marriage of love. It was a marriage arranged. King Saul made David marry his daughter so his daughter could be the spy to tell him what David was up to because he was paranoid. So Michael never really was the wife of David. That's why she's never called the wife of David. It was an arranged marriage in name only. She was the daughter of Saul, and she criticized David. She didn't love David. Her criticism wasn't out of love. You know, there's a difference in criticizing somebody out of love and criticizing somebody just to criticize them. Make sure if you've got something critical to say, you've got the right heart to go with it. 
Because so many times criticisms come out and it's not for the purpose of correcting somebody and building them up. It's for the purpose of humiliating somebody and tearing them down. Michael is criticizing David to humiliate him and tear him down. That word despise is a very strong word. It means to hate somebody. Now what can we get out of this story, you and I, as we sit here tonight in closing? I mean, after all, every story in the Bible is not just about then, it's about now. It's not just about David, it's about you and I. It's not just about worship that went on then, it's about worship that might be going on now. So what are some things I can leave with you as we prepare to go? Well, this is the first thing. Though there's no law, though there's no regulation, no, 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 though there's no rule right now in place by the Lord, the Lord still wants His worship to be done with order. How do we know that? Because one of Paul's biggest problems with the church of Corinth was how they worshipped disorderly. The people in the church at Corinth were practicing speaking in tongues. Paul does not correct them. Pay attention, Baptist. He doesn't correct them for speaking in tongues. He corrects them for how they were speaking in tongues and disrupting the worship service. And he gives a strict protocol that if the gift of tongues is going to be used in a worship service, this is how it's supposed to be done. If you don't do it this way, Paul was telling them, you will have confusion, you will have chaos, you will have carnality. And may I say this, many of those who practice the gift of tongues, who worship in sister churches, they're not following the protocol that Paul gave to the church at Corinth. I'm not going to argue whether the gift is relevant today or even if it's a gift for today. But I say to you, if it is a gift, then God has given us walking instructions how to do it. And very few churches follow it. So I want you to know that worship is to be orderly. It should be have some structure to it. No, God hasn't given us a law like he did in that day. But he has given us the law of love and the law of grace and the law of common sense and the law of politeness. And we keep all of those laws in mind when we come together for corporate worship. So worship is to be orderly. It should have some structure to it second thing I think we can see here for us today is worship is not one size fits all. Everyone has the freedom to worship in their own way within parameters. Sometimes we have the worship police out in churches. They're the men and women who have the whistle around their neck. And whenever they see someone who doesn't worship like them, catch that? Worship like them. 
They blow the whistle. Let me ask you a question. You just answer this in your own head. You don't have to answer out loud. Is it better to worship sitting down or standing up? Just answer that question yourself. Is it better to worship with your hands folded in your lap? Or is it better to worship with your hands up? Like somebody's robbing you. Is it better to worship with a smile on your face or a blank on your face? Is it better to worship dancing in your seat? We Baptists dance, you know that. As long as you're sitting down, you can dance. Okay, can't dance standing up, but as long as you're sitting down, you can do the twist, you can do the jerk, you, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But you got to sit down. you got to sit down. Is it better to, to worship dancing in your seat or just to be still like you're dead in your seat? Is it better to sing with gusto or just to sing softly or not even sing at all? Is it better to laugh and cry or is it better to have absolutely no emotion, to be a zombie? Is it better to clap and tap or is it better to be still? Is it better to be on shouting ground or to be silent as a lamb? Is it better to be a happy clappy or a frozen chosen? Which is the right way to worship? There is no right way. There is no wrong way. As long as it's worship in spirit and in truth that comes out of a humble, sincere heart, God accepts it. He allows us to be who we are within the parameters of manners and politeness and respect for those that are around us. And whenever we try to put people in our worship box, all it causes is hard feelings. You worship as God would have you to worship. And don't worry about anybody else. And I'll worship as I want to worship. And I'm not going to worry about you. And you don't worry about me. Let's be respectful to those around us. Because we are a community. We are a family. But nevertheless, we have freedoms in the Lord. And as long as my freedom doesn't violate your freedom to worship, I can do it. And you can do it. And then lastly, I take that as an amen in the back. And lastly, what can we walk away from this story? Worship today, though there's not a law that tells us how to do it, still should have order to it. Without order, you've got chaos, confusion, and the chance for carnality is very great. Worship is not one size fits all. All of us are free to worship as we God made us to worship. As long as we do it in spirit and in truth with respect to one another. And then lastly, what you bring to worship is what you will take out of worship. Right? 
Pastor, I came tonight. I want to tell you that was the boringest, dullest worship I've ever been part of. You know why it's dull and boring? Because you're here. You see, you bring your worship. You bring the worship, and that's what you give to the Lord, and that's what you get back. And if you come here with the critical spirit, you'll leave with the critical spirit. If you come here with negativity, you'll leave with negativity. If you come here to find fault, you found plenty of it. And if you didn't find any, I'll share some with you. Whatever you come looking for in worship, whatever you bring with you in worship, is what you'll find in worship and what you'll take out with you. And if you came here tonight to see the presence of a living God, you'll see Him. If you came here tonight to praise Him, you'll praise Him. If you came here tonight to be blessed, you'll be blessed. You bring your worship with you, and Keith will work with what he got. See, you, you think the mentality in the church is your music minister is your performer. And how good the movie is is based on him. How good the service is is based on me. We're the stars of the show, you know. You're going to pay us, we're going to have to perform. And if it's a lousy show, then you got lousy actors up here. I'm telling you, it's not about us, it's not about you, it's all about him. He works with what you give him. I work with what you give me. Worship is what you bring. And what you bring is what you'll take out. It's a reflection of who you are. David was so excited because that's who he was. And Michael was so critical because that's who she was. And it all came from right there. Heads are bowed and eyes.